Belgia. Welcome to Village Oak Tree for November 8th, 2023. Hello again, my name is Terrence O'Donnell and I'm back to your digital village with more news from around the world and a focus on something specific that I hope will get you all upset. This once a week podcast is hosted on RSS.com. It's also available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Podcast Index, Listen Notes, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Kranabeha in Substack, and Kranabeha in my new YouTube channel. This show is free to subscribe to for now on these mobile apps with a donation tab on the Village Oak Tree webpage at rss.com and my website www.kran-beha.com. Much like passing a hat at the end of my visit to your village. Please share this podcast with everyone you know as much as possible in order to make a difference in our world before it gets too late. Especially today where I've got so much going on with this Israel-Gaza thing. And only because there's so much in the press on both sides of the issue. And people are bashing each other for being pro this and pro that. So this is if there's any if there's ever a time to let your government know that you're upset about this whole business going on and that they need to get off their butts and do something, this is it. So a little about me. I'm of Irish descent and a self-professed Sean Kay, a Gaelic storyteller. I want listeners to feel like we're sitting under your village oak tree where I bring you headlines of my take from news feeds and relevant blog articles that I think are important to know about. I find all my stories from around the world in the news and sometimes blog articles that are important to us all, no matter where we live in the world. And for each article I present to you, I'm going to give you links to read in the news stories. Um, they'll be there in medium.com, substack.com, and in the blog section of my website. During my break, I've created a two-minute advertiser for my website. That way you can find out a little more about it. And it's only a couple of minutes, so no other commercials. That's it. So coming up on the second half of, uh, as I mentioned, I've got a lot to say about the Gaza-Israeli thing. But let me get the news stories out of the way first. My first news story this week came out last week, actually. Putin ally warns enemy Poland, you risk losing your statehood. This came out of Reuters. If you didn't think Russia had any plans to take back the original USSR territories, this should make you reconsider once you read this. One of Putin's best boys that laid it right on the line here. He's telling Eastern Europe, if you don't follow the Russian party line, we're coming for you. So not only Poland, but Romania, Moldova, Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, Russia's coming for you. Just as soon as they wrap up Ukraine. Belarus is already in the fold. Hungary will fawn and be welcomed. And it's Slovakia. Slovakia got a new government in there, and they're all pro-Russian. And everyone right up to the German border. So what's, gonna, what's NATO going to do? What's the EU going to do at this point? Will the Americans in the West intervene? Well, being as how Americans still, you know, for the next year are still part of NATO, it could be a big deal. Or maybe that's what Putin's waiting for. He's waiting for the American government to change hands, change hands, and then maybe make a move. Now, given their track record in Gaza, it's looking a little doubtful right now as far as the West goes. Next, I have a client, kind of an environmental article here. Sea lice outbreak on Icelandic salmon farm, a welfare disaster footage shows. Drone images of cages shot by activists reveal open sores affecting up to one million fish. Fish producers are now calling them for animal feed. 
And I got this out of the Guardian.com environment section. It's by Karen McVeigh. So open salmon farms are under attack by sea lice, which is dev devastating to salmon independence. Well, they can't escape it. So this is a Scandinavian thing to raise salmon to eat in open fish farms. Another example of screwing with Mother Nature. Having to euthanize so many fish will hurt the fish food industry. Then maybe it should. Fish farms, as far as I'm concerned, are an abomination to nature. If you can't catch them normally like you should, you don't need them. Space mining is getting closer to becoming a reality, and Canada could play a major role. This is a future industry that we could own as Canadians, says one space mining expert. And this is by Nicole Mortolero in CBC News. So this is going to be apparently a reality in the next 10 years or so. Space mining. I think it would be a good thing for planet Earth if we could mine the moon and asteroids and stop destroying our own ecosystems for, for you know, mining for ores here in the United States. Or, I mean, not, you know, around the world. There are no trees or animals or marine life for any of these astral bodies to worry about. So I think go for it. It's a good step for everyone forward. And maybe we can get our ecosystem back on track again. Canada, this is, this is an immigration article. Canada has a growing immigration retention problem. Amid a housing crunch and rising cost of living, more people are leaving by Ananya Bhattacharya. This headline pretty much sums it all up. Canada opened its doors to immigrants from all over the world without really thinking it through. And now they have thousands of jobless, unhoused immigrants waiting for papers and jobs. A lot of them decided that that's enough and are leaving. For a country looking for people, they certainly put the cart before the horse, and now it's coming back to bite them. This will most certainly hurt Trudeau's re-election chances, because Paul Vieira is all over it. U.S., South Korea, Japan, to launch a consultant group on North cyber threats by Reuters. So if there was ever a reason to not invest in cryptocurrency, here's the biggest one. By getting involved, you are probably financing North Korea's war chest. This has always been a bad idea, and now it's even worse. Cryptocurrency should be banned by any sane banking system by now. The U.S. is quietly arming Taiwan to the teeth. BBC.com News World by Rupert Winkfield Hayes. So, this news story will certainly reach Beijing quickly and set off another round of outrage. This already says it all. The U.S. is doing things under the table to help Taiwan. They need to do it quickly. The biggest part of all this is convincing the younger Taiwanese just how vulnerable they are and motivate them to defend their homeland, something that seems to be lacking right now over there. The army ranks in Taiwan don't seem to be filling up very quickly yet. Blizzards in China's northeast ground flights for school closures by Bernard Orr and Ella Chow. Weather reports, this is from last weekend, weather reports of northeastern China and they experienced unseasonably cold temps and blizzard conditions, forcing airports and schools to close and warnings to stay inside. If you wanted a precursor of what to expect in the northeast part of North America this winter, this is it. You've been warned. Climate fatigue isn't a sign that Europeans are in denial. It's a sign of their fear by Francesco Grillo. While Europe is battered by the climate crisis, governments must reassure voters that green costs will be fairly shared. And this came out of TheGuardian.com. Europeans and likely some North Americans are more afraid of losing their livelihoods than any green initiatives. They depend on their current farming methods and don't have the money to switch over climate-friendly farming. Their governments don't have enough money to help them. So now what? And that is the existential question for the farmers and the people of the world. 
Who's going to pay for all that switching over to green initiatives? This one going all across the world again. Stories from the dark underbelly of Australia's long-term refugee prisons. And this came out of Knowledge.com by Rachel Panett. I had to get this story from a different source because the Washington Post wants to make everyone pay for the subscriptions. In other words, they paywall the story. If you think the U.S. has a cruel immigration policy, the Aussies are even worse. Rated the strictest in the Western world now, they're grabbing refugees off the boats before they can set foot on Australian beaches and locking them up in internment camps for years. And by their rules, they can be indefinitely. Australia recently just said no to a referendum to allow indigenous peoples to have a voice in their government. So to say no to asylum seekers and refugees shouldn't be a surprise. The white descendants of the English colonizers don't like anyone who doesn't look like them, and they don't care who doesn't like it. Keep them out unless they can pay their way, and even then, the racism is rampant. U.S. and U.K. militaries owe a combined $111 billion in climate reparations study. Exclusive study finds militaries have generated about 430 metric tons of CO2 emissions since 2015 in the Paris Accords. This came out of the Guardian.com environment. So this article is a showcase of just how much the empire of the United States has largely mirrored the former British Empire by telling the world that because we have the largest and best trained and equipped military, we can do whatever we like anywhere in the world. Now that the world is learning that this is not true anymore, we're also finding that the American and British militaries are the biggest polluters. Now why shouldn't that surprise anyone? Back to the United States. More hospitals across the U.S. are closing maternity wards. The lack of labor and delivery units can lead to maternity care deserts by Mary Kikados. And this came out of ABC News here in the United States. If the U.S. didn't already have health care issues, that it faces a severe shortage of OBGYN care across the country, most predominantly in the conservative states due to lack of money from insurance providers, staff shortages, and politics. Starting to get critical in certain states, it's only going to get worse. So the hospitals say, for the supposedly richest country in the world, they have the poorest health care system for their citizens. If you can't pay for it, you don't get any. Wildlife officers make disturbing autopsy discovery after euthanizing sick bear. It's a call we wish we could never have to make, unquote, by Wes Stenzel. And this came out of Yahoo.com, I think, the cool down. This story is about finding a sick bear and the reason why. Plastic ingestion from someone or several someone's trash piles, this poor bear ate, and the plastic bound up in the bear's digestive system and made it so sick to the point of death. The, you know, the rangers and stuff had to euthanize it. And I think this was over in Colorado. A sad state of affairs for wildlife around the world as humans continually leave their trash and the animals are eating it. It's been going on for decades, but, you know, this is... Something fairly new here with bears. The scandal that never happened by Anat Rubin, and this came out of ProPublica.org. Years ago, the all-white judges of a Louisiana appellate court decided, in secret, to systematically ignore petitions filed by prisoners, most of them black, who claimed they had been unjustly convicted. The story is rather lengthy, but it details just how bad things are for anyone who's not white in some of these southern states. And they got away with it so far. Some reforms have been made, but the judges are still continuing as if they have for the most part because of a law that was passed a while ago, and is detailed in this article. And they're abusing it to the full extent, 
and because they can't, the, the, because of that law, the feds won't intervene. And this is my last article here for you is a Substack article that I picked up this morning. It's called Let the Bodies Pile High, The Colonial Mindset Behind Pandemic Policies by Nate Baer. This article from a writer in Substack about how the global corporate world considers those of us in the lower economic spectrum irrelevant. There's also a lot of history of the Europeans, how they use smallpox as a bioweapon to clear out the indigenous populations in their colonies to make room for them. It's pretty sickening. My own ancestors were subject to something like this during the Great Famine of the early 19th century. And this article is, is very, very good. I, if you don't read any of the other ones, read this one about COVID and, and you know, English and French and the Spanish too, for that matter, their use of bioweapons. So now that's the, end of my, that's the end of my first half. It was pretty short today because uh, my op-ed in the backside is going to be in your face. So I'm going to take a couple of minute break and then um, I'll return here shortly. I want to take this break to bring attention to my website, crontonabeha.com. Just type in www.cranna-beatha.com in your browser and search for it. You may also use the link in the newsletters or podcast transcripts to find it for the first time, as the name is in Gaelic and a little hard to find unless you know what you're looking for. Then bookmark it for your wish to return. I also have the RSS feeder enabled, so if you like my podcast, articles, stories, and poetry, you can get a notice whenever I post something new. Search for Kronda Beha blog in your RSS feeder. Within the website, there is a homepage where you can learn a little more about what Kronda Beha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little more about me in general. I have a blog page where I post copies of the podcast newsletters, blog articles, stories, and poems. There's a drop-down menu with links to both podcasts, a donations page, an ad page for my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. All the stories, poetry, and newsletters I write are available in the blog section of my website for free. If you like what you see, feel free to leave a donation and or a message in the comment page anytime. I will respond fairly quickly until bedtime. Enjoy the music, and I'll be back with the second half shortly. Welcome back to the second half of the Village Oak Tree. I want to address the elephant in the room regarding the Israeli-Palestine conflict. There are so many different viewpoints from all over the media spectrum, it's hard to sort the wheat from the chaff. I have several articles from different media outlets that I watch, and I will read you the headlines with a little bit about the stories. No commentary, just a little bit about what's in the article so you can judge for yourself. So my first one I give you is Pirates, Emperors, and the Middle East Axes of Evil. Unmasking the U.S.-Israel Rhetoric of War, Human Rights, and Geopolitical Strategy in Palestine by Marwan Bashara, 
And I got this one from aljazeera.com in their opinion section. So it's an opinion piece about what the other side of the world thinks about the U.S. support of Israel in this conflict. It shows us just how much the U.S. still wants to be the big dog around the world, despite world opinion otherwise. And now the U.S. has lost even more credibility with the Islamic world, which they need to desperately keep the oil flowing. And then, yeah, it's becoming a problem. U.S. states invest $300 million in Israeli bonds since the start of Israel-Hamas war. Majority of funds come from states with officials belonging to a conservative group that has attacked political investments. And this came out of the Guardian.com U.S. News by Callum Jones. The story is about how some extremely conservative American states are buying Israeli bonds to financially support Israel, all because of a perceived religious connection with the Zionists. They apparently didn't get the memo years ago about how much the Jews hate the Christians, which Netanyahu and his right-wing cronies have no problem saying at times. But they have no problem at all taking your money either. Kremlin dismisses report on Wagner plan to give Hezbollah air defense system by Guy Falkenbridge. And this came out of Reuters.com. This story is Russia telling the world that there's no more Wagner group. Also a denial of support for the Hezbollah. Everyone knows that the Russian government lies with nearly every spoken sense. So is this truth or a deflection? Turkey's Erdogan says post-war Gaza must be part of a sovereign Palestinian state by Tuvan Gumruku. This came out of Reuters.com, World Middle East. Turkey's Erdogan is making demands on behalf of Palestinians for post-war. That all depends on if there's any Palestinians left in Palestine by the time Israel says it's over. So what's the plan then? Is Turkey going to make more noise and make more demands? The bigger question, will anyone listen? The Islamic world's pulling back from making nice with Israel anymore. Now what? Hamas armed wing. More than 60 hostages are missing due to Israeli airstrikes from Reuters. And again, these, some of these stories are a few days old. So not only are the Israelis decimating the Palestinian civilians, they're apparently killing the hostages that were being held underground or in buildings in Gaza. Israel doesn't seem to care anymore in their blind rage. Or is this a, we don't care who we kill, as long as we kill anyone we feel might be a Hamas supporter thing. There has been more stories after this one uh, about that, so it'd be interesting. Extremely challenging. Israel's Gaza ground assault faces stumbles. A week into the ground war, Israeli forces are trying to isolate Hamas in North Gaza. Well, Hamas is prepared too, says analysts. This came another article out of Al Jazeera. Again, the stuff is a little old. Right now, as of as of today, yesterday and today, Israel has isolated the north of Gaza from the south, and they're trying to encircle everything. Um, so it's going to get more interesting. So it seems that Hamas was a little more prepared this for this whole business this time. They've probably been preparing for this for several years now, biding their time. The tunnel infrastructure being fairly sophisticated looking should be a clue. Seems like Israel isn't going to get the rollover easy victory they thought they were going to get this time. And this leads into my next article. As their soldiers fight hand-to-hand -hand in Gaza, Israelis wonder about the end game by Peter Beaumontin in Jerusalem. This came out of TheGuardian.com world. Casualties in Gaza are grows, growing, and so is Israel's concern about the war's direction. Yeah, so as I mentioned in the previous article, what's the end game? Is it oil? As everyone in the West is salivating over? Or is Israel tired of being a punching bag for Hamas? 
if the latter. They should have thought about that over 100 years ago when he started moving in on Palestine. And again in 1948, and again in 1967, and so on and so forth. Since Israel decided to play the sympathy card after World War II, they muscled, muscled Palestine so much, it's no wonder they finally said, enough is enough. It's time to stand up to the Jewish bully. Now they are. The question on everyone's mind, what will mission accomplished look like? And again, there's new you know stories that have come out since this. Um, a lot of new stuff, which I'm going to get into here shortly. Who are Israeli settlers and why do they live on Palestinian lands? As many as 700,000 Israeli settlers are living illegally in the occupied West Bank as settler violence surges. Another one from Al Jazeera by Sarah Shamim. This article pretty much lays it all out. The slow encroachment of the illegal settlers and their government looking the other way or the soldiers outright helping them, especially now. Doesn't take a genius to figure out what the end game is for the West Bank. Why Israel wants to erase context and the history in the war on Gaza. The dehistoricization of what is happening helps Israel pursue genocidal policies in Gaza. This come out of Al Jazeera. This is an opinion piece, and the writer Ilan Papa tells us that the Israelis used every trick in the book to get their so-called ancestral land back in the mid-19th century, and the West sympathized with the European Jews at the time, and worked to get them their lands in Palestine due to supposed religious affinity. Then through the years of forcing hundreds of thousands of Palestinians off their lands into Gaza, while the West looked the other way, and gave a lot of money to defend themselves against the world. So my next one here, news article-wise, Israeli extremists believe now is the time to deploy their ethnic cleansing plots, playing the long game. Extremists have been drawing up plans to force Palestinians out of Israel for years. This is the chance they've been waiting for by Mel Freikberg and the Daily Beast. This article about a paper that was leaked on how Israel's plan to drive all the Palestinians from Gaza and the West Bank. And I got this article today. The Palestinians are terrified that this is happening now. With some of those extremists in the Israeli government now, maybe so. This paper lays out a plan to relocate all of them to the Sinai Desert of Egypt. Except Egypt says, no. This is a must-read article because it adds to the real story of all, why all this is happening now. So if you want to read about all this stuff, read the other articles first, then read this one. And this will kind of put it all into kind of context. So... Now, Israel wants it all in a hard push to satisfy all the different Israeli factions. The West Bank ultra-Orthodox settlers who want all of the land there, the government officials who want to be the biggest dog in the region, and the corporate interests who want all the oil underneath Gaza and out up into the waters off the, off the coast. Hamas took over the government in Gaza 16 years ago, much to everyone's detriment, and Israel is using this latest atrocity they helped foment against them as an excuse to go after Hamas and carry out a final solution. Doesn't that sound like a blast from the past? So what will a post-war Palestine look like? I can give you a pretty educated guess. What's left of the Palestinian people will be forced out of Gaza as a security concern for Israel. This is already happening. The West Bank will be cleared of any Palestinians and the settlers will build like crazy in their newfound lands, sanctioned by the government. Again, this is already happening. The Israeli government will push through the oil deals they just awarded contracts for. Netanyahu and his buddies will run straight to the bank and live like kings. Baby won't care about whether he's the PM anymore with all that money. And in the West, 
All would be forgiven and forgotten once again, as long as Israel keeps spending money there. At least that's the plan for now. With thousands of pro-Palestine protesters marching in the streets around the world right now, public opinion might change that plan. The UN chief was called out by Israel for supporting the Palestinians and condemning the massacres of civilians. They wanted him gone for daring to say what a large percentage of the world is saying and thinking right now. Israel has gone too far this time. Ireland has stood up and openly condemned the Israelis. The Israeli-Irish ambassador doesn't feel comfortable there. Now I wonder why. When all the dust clears someday, will the true death toll ever be known? Likely not, as Israel will do everything they can with help from the U.S. and the U.K. to cover it all up, all the while milking the story about the 1,400-plus dead Israelis for years to come. The other question, what will the rest of the Islamic world do? Iran wants to crush Israel, but can't by themselves. Qatar wants to play mediator. A lot of it's because Hamas, their headquarters, is in Qatar. Turkey wants to make a lot of noise so far. The biggest dog in the region, Saudi Arabia, appears to be sitting this one out because it's bad for business, and they just made some deals with Israelis that are likely in jeopardy now. Jordan and Egypt also appear to be sitting back for now. They're reluctant to welcome all those refugees unless the world steps in to help. They are outraged and want to help, but... Lebanon's Hezbollah dipping their toes in the water with a few missiles here and there, while telling everyone they are watching and waiting. That appears to be a current, the current end game plan for the region. Sit back and see, because they are all afraid of the big bad wolf called two American carrier groups, plus the UK ships, and some other countries close enough to do some serious stuff to anyone who might want to think about going after Israel. The other big question on everyone's mind, why is the Western world taking the Israeli side so strongly? Although Blinken is making the rounds trying to convince Israel to back down to Lenin's humanitarian aid, Israel says no until the hostages are all released. As I told you in an, article, in an earlier article, Hamas is telling Israel that 60 of the hostages have already been killed by Israeli bombs. What if that's true? What if more than 60 died in the bombings? What if they all died in the bombings? What will Israel do if they find out that they killed the hostages in their blind rage? What will the West do? So many questions right now. As for those of us who are pro-Palestine, all we can do is offer our support any way we can without getting killed in the process for being anti-Semitic. I'm not anti-Semitic. I just disagree with their government. When that's becoming a real issue in the West right now, there's a big difference between being pro-Palestine and condemning Hamas for what they did. And I am. I condemn Hamas for what they did. No one should condone the butchering of innocent civilians, no matter who did the butchering. My question is this. Why are we in the West so complicit in making war on innocent people and children? I thought the Allies agreed never to do that again after World War II. And yet, here we are again. History is repeating itself only with the Israelis behaving like the Nazis did back to them in, in the 1940s. No gas chambers this time, but bombing them into extinction apparently is okay. So to close things out today, I've got some last thoughts with two articles and a poem. First, an article from William Spivey and Medium.com that I was given permission to read entitled The Justification for Genocide. It's about the history of human tribal battles through the ages and the current apathy from around the Western world as they are viewing all these regional conflicts from the safety of their TV sets. He highlights some interesting U.S. statistics, and not in a good way. The Justification of Genocide, Watching People Die Without Caring, by William Spivey. 
And this came out five days ago. What a piece of work is man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculties in form and moving. How express and inabrable in action. How like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world. The paragon of animals. From what a piece of work is man. Historians have concluded the first war in recorded history was in 2700 B.C. between Sumer and Elan in Mesopotamia. Well, there is evidence of previous battles. That battle was presumed to be over scarce resources as agriculture became relatively more important than hunting. Land was more valuable than before and worth fighting for. There hasn't been a year without a war somewhere since. What has changed is the scale and capacity for the death of others, including non-combatants. War was once more personal. When populations were smaller, you knew some of the warriors personally, along with their families. Sometimes you knew members of enemy forces. War was about land, resources, borders, and religion. There was undoubtedly nationalism, but not always hatred of the opposition. There was some recognition that those on the other side were human too. Battles were often decided by negotiation, with emissaries from each side deciding the result with no loss of life or destruction of property. Things were more civilized then. As centuries passed, though wars were always about economics, the justifications became more about religion, color, and race. Someone is reading this right now objecting, saying race is just a construct, which is true. While there are differences culturally and physically between some peoples, race was not usually the motivating factor until the discovery of the New World and later after Bacon's Rebellion. To justify taking land and enslaving people, the classifications of some being subhuman was part of the rationale which made killing them okay. As weapons advanced, the capacity to kill progressed exponentially. Because man was now destroying villages and cities, the, explana the explanations had to include justifications that the dead weren't valued in the same manner as those killing them. They were savages or animals, inferior in some way, so their deaths weren't worthy of protest. As many wars were justified by religion, the church found itself explaining how their gods demanded the death of women, children, and the elderly in pursuit of an economic goal. The, Cru the Crusades were justified by religion. In 1095, Pope Urban II offered forgiveness of all sins for those who fought on the Christian side against Muslims, which they partially financed by stealing from the Jews. But the deadliest weapons were swords, maces, crossbows, and lances. The wars were deadly and the causes were questionable, but genocide wasn't a consideration. Whoever for devotion alone, but not to gain honor or money, goes to Jerusalem to liberate the Church of God can substitute this journey for all penance, Pope Urban II. By 1260, cannons were introduced to Chinese battlefields. Later, man had guns that evolved to a point where several shots could be fired without reloading. Then came the Gatling gun, which later came with a swivel. The ability to kill constantly evolved, with bombs making the most significant leaps and bounds. We, as a species, were killing more efficiently, yet caring much less. Civilians have always been at some risk during wars, but it took media coverage, television, and movies to make the number of casualties clear. People could ignore mass destruction until they saw it or read it a description, so precise, so precise it couldn't be ignored. Civilian massacres were still mostly hidden, allowing nations to claim the moral high ground while covering up atrocities. In America, for every My Lai massacre, there are several, like the massacre at Noganri, which we're still finding out about over seven years later. U.S. troops lined up unarmed Koreans on a bridge and called in an airstrike with Air Force jets strafing them. 
The attack occurred in 1950, with the first reports leaking out in 1999. If there were a point when the world would say too much, you'd think it would be after the U.S. dropped nuclear bombs on Japan, first a uranium-based bomb on Hiroshima, then a plutonium-based bomb dropped on Nagasaki three days later, effectively ending World War II. At the time, 85% of the U.S. population felt that the use of the bombs, which killed over 100,000, including those who died of radiation poisoning, was justified. In another poll 70 years later, 56% felt the bombings were justified. Baby steps. I will point to the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas in the Gaza Strip and West Bank only to highlight the death toll, particularly of women and children and the elderly, that the world is willing to and able to ignore. Over 1,400 people have been killed in Israel and more than 9,600 Palestinians were killed in Gaza with another 134 in the West Bank. These numbers come with the conflict likely to be in the early stages with projections from, projections from Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu for a long war. The ground war in Gaza is just beginning, and the airstrikes from Israel show no sign of the immediate end. I'm not using this article to point fingers and, play, and place blame, but to point out how immune we've become to death and destruction unless it's happening to people like us or those we know. The combined deaths this year in Ukraine, Africa, the Middle East, Central America, and elsewhere from avoidable conflicts and weapons of mass destruction is greater than the population of some nations. The 18 people recently killed in a main mass shooting would barely have registered except that the whereabouts of the gunmen were unknown for some days. We are literally wiping each other out in the name of what? Because we teach our children to hate and elect officials best able to express that message. The Pentagon is planning to request funding from Congress to build a bomb 24 times more potent than the one we dropped on Hiroshima. Where in the world could we drop such a bomb without more civilian losses that we could justify in human terms? The answer is to make the victims less than human, turn them into animals, or do something inhuman that won't be missed. We've reached a point where war and the resulting casualties have become entertainment. Americans were glued to their televisions during the shock and awe phase of Second Iraq War. War has become more about look what we can do instead of imagining the suffering of those on the receiving end. That doesn't consider the 9 million people that starve each year while the world looks away. This only works if the people dying aren't thought of as people. That's something we're getting quite good at. So my next one, I'm not going to read to you. Uh, we'll tell you about it, though, because you really, really need to read this on your own. Making Sense of the Gaza War by E.Z. Prime, another Substack article. And the big thing about this, um, he, he talks about why they're at war over there in, in Israel and Gaza. And there's a lot of details, a lot of factual information, stuff you can look up and, and find out easy enough. But he lays it all out here and saves you from doing a whole lot of research. And, and I strongly recommend, if, if nothing else, read this one. So now I've got a poem for you. And this is from my friend Mitch in Medium.com. Papa, will we die? I see him turn away. There are tears in his eyes. Oh, Papa, don't be sad. I run to him. He's crying. Mama is crying too. What can I tell them? I'm seven. There's nothing I can do. Loud sounds fill the air like thunder. Things fall apart. Airplanes are coming near. I hear them in the sky. But there's nowhere to run, so we hide. Papa, even more scared, grabs me, grabs Mama, holds us so tight. Mama's whispering. She's praying. 
asking God that we might die together. I feel Papa's body shake, tremble. His body covers us as dust falls all around. He's falling apart like our old house. How much more can our broken hearts take? I'm so frightened, I bury my face in my Papa's dirty shirt. Crashing from outside, the ground shakes, sirens scream, cars race on by. But we're stuck in this place, and there's no place to hide. I hear screaming. Everyone's mamas and papas are in pain. And the children I played with yesterday won't ever play again. We hold each other, but I can't help myself. I'm shaking. I'm crying. My body feels so numb. I whisper to my papa. My voice is quivering. It sounds stupid and dumb. Papa, why? Why do they want us to die? And that's the end of my show this week. I hope I've angered you enough with all of this tragedy. And I leave you now with my questions of the week to take with you. Do you condone the apparent genocide of the Palestinians in Gaza? Do you condone the forced displacement of thousands of Palestinians from Palestine? Would you consider helping them? Or are they just another forgettable conflict that's not in your backyard like Ukraine? Thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll return again for another episode of the Village Oak Tree. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more you share, the more we can convince enough people to make the world a better place to live in. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the Village Oak Tree today. As a Shauna Kay, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you something that might bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. Schlange foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish.